Welcome to On the Middle East, the podcast of the award-winning media service, El Monitor, where each week we talk with the decision makers and thought leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in the Middle East. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of El Monitor, and our guest this week is El Monitor columnist Ali Hashem. Ali has long covered the Middle East with extensive focus on Iran and Iraq. He also serves as a senior journalist for the Doha-based Al Jazeera English Channel. Ali is regularly deployed to report from the field and interview decision makers around the region. He is also a research fellow at the Sectarianism, Proxies, and Desectarianization Project based at Lancaster University. After nearly a year and a half of negotiations, the United States and Iran thanks to European Union mediation, seem on the verge of agreeing to a return to the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action or Iran nuclear deal. If so, this would be a major foreign policy win for President Joe Biden, who made re-entering the deal a top priority for his administration. It would also be a win for Iran President Ibrahim Raisi, whose country gets in on the oil windfall of an estimated $4 billion per month once roughly a million barrels per day of Iranian oil is back on the market, and also from the release in coming months, again, if a deal goes through, of over $100 billion in frozen assets. As Ben Caspit reports today from Israel, Jerusalem seems resigned to an agreement which it considers a strategic disaster. And for U.S. partners in the Gulf, although there is a concern that an emboldened Iran and rich from oil revenues and unfrozen assets will press ahead with its regional agenda, there has also been a frenetic diplomatic mode for months as the Gulf states have sought to get ahead of the curve on Iran. Kuwait and the UAE are reestablishing relations, and Iran and Saudi Arabia are heading in that direction thanks to the good offices of Iraqi Prime Minister Mustafa Al-Khadami. My conversation with Ali Hashem about Iran and the nuclear deal and what it means for the region begins now. Ali, welcome back to On the Middle East. Thanks, Andrew. I'm happy to be with you today. Let's go over the events of the last few days. U.S. President Joe Biden spoke with his British, French, and German counterparts about the nuclear deal on Sunday. Yesterday, Iran President Ibrahim Raisi said that Iran has made no concessions in the negotiations. And EU foreign policy chief Joseph Burrell said that Iran's response to the latest draft was reasonable. All this seems to signal, I think, that we are moving toward an agreement. What do you think? Well, to the moment, you know, uh, as they say, there is no deal till there is a deal. We're not aware uh, of the uh, nature of the U.S. response to the European paper and the Iranian remarks. We still don't have a final picture of what the Iranians really sent to the Europeans and, and was conveyed to the Americans. So in a way or another, yes, there are a lot of positive vibes coming from Brussels, from Tehran. There is a um, kind of radio silence from the U.S. However, now with some lines coming out from Washington, 
there is there is kind of an uh, there is an indication that yes a deal might be very close very close to the extent that we can start um, anticipating a meeting as Joseph Burrell said yesterday uh, for the joint commission in, in, in Vienna now is this going to be the final the final meter or the final mile that all parties are going to cross in order to uh, revive the JCPOA personally I'm very uh, cautious with this because we've been there several times. Now, we were not this close, but still there are points that are hanging, sticking points. At the same time, um, we can see the way Israel is dealing with the, with the situation. There is a pressure coming from Israel and the United States with respect to this deal. Um, and there are a lot of, of concerns. Are these concerns soothed? Will this end in the um, perfect way that everyone wants? This is what uh, actually I'm, I'm really thinking about. Because in 2015, you remember, Andrew, it was a win-win deal. Are we heading towards uh, another win-win deal or a lose-lose deal? This is the big question right now. I mean, let's talk about those issues of dispute between the United States and Iran. For months, we there have been three that have been uh, at the top of the list. The designation of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, as a foreign terrorist organization by the United States, guarantees that Iran wanted that the U.S. would uh, not back out of the deal, or if it did, there would be some type of mitigation or compensation and uh, the IAEA investigation into previous Iranian nuclear military research and by, based on evidence at several sites. Now, of those three, it seems like we're down to one, and that's the investigation into the past military dimensions of um, the Iran nuclear program uh, and ongoing IAEA investigation. But walk us through all three. Well, um, if we start with the uh, guarantees, the Iranians were insisting from the beginning. In fact, from last year, when the talks were resumed during uh, Rouhani's time, and President Hassan Rouhani's time, and then when it was later on resumed uh, uh, when President Raisi was elected, that the main issue is guarantees. They want guarantees that the United States is not going to exit the deal anymore, just like how President Trump did in 2018. And they were requesting several sorts of, of guarantees. Uh, at the beginning, there were uh, talk about uh, a, a, a letter uh, signed by the Congress or a, a statement, something like that. But it was clear that the American side wasn't able to offer this. Um, later on, the Iranians uh, resorted to a solution. Uh, at least this is what uh, Ali Shamkhani said in, in one of, it, of his tweets in, in uh, March uh, this year when he spoke about the inherent uh, guarantees. Whereas, as we understood later on, the uh, advanced centrifuges could stay in Iran and could be used whenever the U.S. exits the, the deal. Now, we don't have any confirmation regarding these things, but at least the, these are what the sources were telling us, uh, Iranian sources were telling us about uh, this issue. Now, was this, was this guarantee issue solved? There is another issue that we 
understood recently, especially uh, during what was leaked uh, or what we knew from the uh, latest Iranian uh, response, that Iran wants that wants that the companies dealing with its own companies or you know doing business in Iran uh, be saved from sanctions for two and a half or three years just in case an American president decides to exit the JCPOA. Now, still, we are not aware or we, are, we can't confirm that these points were confirmed or accepted or uh, embraced by the, by the Americans. This is what we are going to know when there, is a, when there is a U.S. response, a clear response to the paper. This is with respect to the guarantees, which I think, I, I tend to think, that has been solved. Now, we, you know, the, before yeah. we you move on to the next one, that's just a, one further point on the guarantees that uh, actually was in, in your piece for a monitor this week. And I think it's back to my point about the kind of face saving uh, mm-hmm. with regard to the, the politics of the nuclear deal in Iran. Of course, when the JCPOA was signed, it was considered a, a great achievement for Rouhani's government, for Foreign Minister Zarif. You recall there were parades. People were very happy about the engagement. And then they were, they felt burned by the Trump administration, as you reminded us when they, when uh, the U.S. withdrew in May 2018. And what was a success became a failure. Uh, and, and not only in terms of, of their foreign policy, the sanctions and the consequences, but also in terms of the politics within Iran, uh, that the Rouhani administration did not handle the deal right. They didn't deal with the West correctly. How could they have gotten drawn in? And I think this uh, in, in infected the Iranian politics a bit. So as Raisi came in and, uh, you know, we've argued from the beginning that Raisi was never opposed to the deal, even during his presidential campaign. He just said, yes, you have to negotiate, but you have to do it from a strong, strong foundation and proper way uh, rather than how was done before. So um, when they negotiate, I've always seen this issue as the guarantees. They know the Biden administration can't guarantee anything uh, for a subsequent president, even if this was a treaty. Trump withdrew from mm-hmm. NAFTA, even if it's a treaty, a president can can withdraw from it. And even in the, the Iranian case, I mean, there's no guarantee uh, that any future Iranian government or anyone there could, you know, decide not to uh, abide by the terms of the agreement. So everyone faces this. As you mm-hmm. pointed out now, in the, your piece, Shamkani, yeah. Shamkani tweet and the other thing about inherent guarantees that's in the JCPOA that the disabled mm. uh, centrifuges are warehoused under IAEA supervision. So I think after going all this road, this 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 kind of way about guarantees that Tehran knew it really couldn't get, except by complying with the JCPOA as long as Biden's in office, and uh, which could be two years, could be six years, or then or a successor president, and see what happens. Uh, is to say, okay, but we have our inherent guarantees and move on. As you say, we don't know exactly what the uh, decision is, is in Tehran just yet, but it seems like that issue has is, is been resolved. But tell me if I'm uh, missing something here. 
None of that's accurate. Now, with respect to this point, the issue is that I think the Iranians, uh, there, there, were, there, were, there, there, were, there were discussions that the advanced centrifuges could be transferred to another country. This was one of the discussions, at least during the past months. And getting back to keeping the centrifuges in, in Iran, this was kind of, kind of a compromise. At least this is what we understood. I'm, I'm just saying once again, this is what we understood because till the moment, Andrew, you know that we don't have a clear paper in front of us, an official paper with all the points, with all what was being agreed on. We are still dealing with information we're getting from sources, whether it's from the American sources or from or European sources or Iranian sources. And this is all open, the sources, uh, uh, what, what they were telling us. So uh, with, with respect to this point, also the, the issue of making uh, the companies have two and a half to three uh, years uh, of, uh, um, uh, you know, not being under sanctions. This was an idea in order to make it, to make the, the, um, the deal um, viable for, for these companies. Now, the Iranians were still saying that they need to make the Americans pay the price. Now, how are they going to pay the price? What's going to be in this, in this deal that uh, imposes on the United States to pay a price in case it withdraws from the deal in two years, in four years, in six, in ten. This is something that, I mean, it, it, it's still to be, to be known. So, yeah, with respect to the guarantees, this is at least what we have. Um, as for IRGC issue, personally, I think the IRGC issue was a leverage issue, and it wasn't really a prerequisite as uh, at the beginning was being reported, even you know, by us, by others, because this is what, being, what, was, what was being said by Iranian sources at the beginning. They said that this is a prerequisite. I mean, it's not that they didn't say it, they said it. Late, later on, because it seems it wasn't a prerequisite, it was a, a, an attempt to create a leverage or to have leverage in, in, this, in these talks. And to put this point uh, um, in front of another point, uh, which is mainly the safeguards point, which is till the moment, um, we don't know if it's going to be solved or not, because for now, the IAEA is saying that the, the, the probe into the three suspicious sites is going to continue. The Iranians are accusing, at least what uh, Mohammed Islami said, the uh, IAEA of having a politicized probe. And I think also today we heard from the media advisor Marandi that this issue wouldn't be, there would be no deal without solving this issue. So this, this could be a sticking point. This could ruin the whole deal in case the Iranians decide that they want to have this issue solved before everything. Now, are there other creative solutions that could end this and, let me say, migrate the issue of, of uh, the safeguards to you know, sometime, uh, sometime in the future or at least to a, a different way of uh, um, solution? You know, I mean, this is, this is upon the, the negotiators. We can see that they're all trying to express optimism, but you know, I'm, I'm, as I told you at the beginning, I'm, I'm quite cautious with this optimism because sometimes 
this optimism is being used as a tool in the blame game. So some, I'll say I'm an optimist. We're ahead, we're, we're, we're close to a deal. Everything is good, but at the end, there is no deal. And then I'll say, well, I was, I was optimist and I was able to, to give up everything I have, but the other side wasn't ready to go uh, the extra mile. So, yeah. Ali, how do you analyze the overall approach to negotiations on the Iran nuclear deal under President Raisi? Andrew, there is a decision uh, up high in Iran that they want to engage in this path. So whether it was Rouhani's government, whether it's Raisi, whether whoever comes to the, to the government is going to, to, to go by this line. The Supreme National Security Council has this one as uh, one as one of its own objectives, main objective, and this is not going to change as a concept. Now, what's going to change is the way, the tactics, the approach, the narrative. These are the things that are going to change. But as for the concept, the concept is is uh, uh, st- uh, static from 2012 when they decided to engage in this in this path and continues till this moment. Now, how are they going to reach a deal? What kind of a deal they want? What do they want out of the deal? The main thing Iran wants out of, of this deal is the economic benefits of it. There is nothing else that they want out of this deal. Mainly the economic benefits is going to be, you know, uh, Iran's uh, main achievement. If they are going to be able to sell their own oil, openly not i mean they're already selling it but if they're going to be able to sell the, their oil uh, in the official market and get the prices they want to get and get their money paid into their banks and the swift uh, you know and all these the trans- money transfer works normally what do they want something else this is this is what they want only ben caspit has a piece in the monitor today that israel is both resign to a nuclear deal and alarmed by it. Concern in Israel and elsewhere in the region is that Iran, enriched by oil revenues and the unfrozen assets, will seek to expand its influence in ways counter to many of U.S. partners in the region. How do you see the current diplomatic environment with regard to Iran outside of the nuclear deal? And there's been a diplomatic flurry in the region, including, I might add, let me just mention one, a key one, including around the now five-month truce, and the fragile truce in, in Yemen. Uh, is this, and that wouldn't happen without Iranian buy-in, and Iranian statements have been more positive than they have been to date regarding support for the UN-mediated uh, ceasefire uh, that's going on there that the U.S. has been in, instrumental in achieving. How do you see these regional developments, diplomatic developments, including the UAE and Kuwait reestablishing relations this month? And isn't it a little different than 2015 in this regard? Well, um, if there is a deal or there is no deal, Iran's uh, regional influence will continue to be there. It's not going to change. What's going to change is that it's going to be maybe um, in a, uh, doing this in a different way. 
if if there is a deal, I think Iran will be, I mean, much more careful, much more cautious. Um, as for what's happening in in uh, uh, with respect to Iran, to Iran uh, UAE uh, relations, Iran Kuwait relations, the dialogue with Saudi Arabia, what's happening in Yemen. It's part of the dynamics that were introduced recently by the new Iranian government. They, they are looking towards a new approach regionally. And this is what Raisi said in his first speech. And as we know that the Iraqis were playing a mediation role uh, between uh, Iran and several countries, including Jordan, Egypt, uh, Saudi Arabia, as we know. Relations with Kuwait were um, affected by the row with Saudi Arabia. Now, with, with, with the dialogue going on between Iran and Saudi Arabia, there will be really no, no real uh, hurdles uh, for, the, for the Kuwaitis to, to send back their, their ambassador. As for the Emiratis, also we know that relations between the Emiratis and the, and the Iranians, despite all the differences, despite the media war between them sometimes, but there is still a, a, what we call a, a line uh, uh, this fine line is still is still there between you know that that differentiates enmity and and, and friendship. So this line is there, and and they are playing al around this line in a very good way. So now with the ambassador going back, eh, this is uh, taking taking things a step ahead. But uh, still, we need to watch how things are going to to go ahead with the Saudis. In the past few uh, months. Uh, there were no new uh, rounds of talks in Baghdad. And uh, I think since uh, April, there were a lot of um, uh, murmurings going on and, uh, here and there about the um, both the foreign ministers meeting, but it doesn't seem that both foreign ministers of Iran and Saudi Arabia are going to meet any soon. Now, we don't know what might happen later, but at least for now, there is nothing indicating that there is going to be a meeting. But as you said, in Yemen, we have this fragile uh, truce, but at least there is a truce, and this truce has been has been uh, um, discussed and negotiated in in Oman between Iranian and Saudi uh, uh, security officials. Sometimes during the, the Baghdad uh, uh, rounds, also this was discussed. So Iran has been, you know, uh, uh, nuancing its its approach between the nuclear deal and its own uh, regional uh, relations. It's not connecting them to, to each other. So it's doing the talks, it's going for, it wants a deal. However, it was ready to, to, uh, to, uh, for the negotiations to end without a deal. But at the same time, it did not link its own talks with the regional neighbors to whatever is happening in Vienna or any other place. And this was based upon a new strategy, as I said, uh, 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 that was said by, by Raisi's team, that, that priority comes for our neighbors, priority comes for the region, because they knew that without building new ties with the region, they won't be able to really go ahead and go forward in their economy, in, in, in the way they're, you know, because it, it, it's, it's becoming very difficult, you know, uh, the tension is very high, things were heading on several occasions towards collision. And this is what they, they don't want. Because the Iranians know that if there are better relations with the Kuwaitis, with the Emiratis, with the, with the Saudis, with the Jordanians, with the Iraq, I mean, everyone there, they could be able to 
you know, start a new uh, economic uh, uh, cooperation with these countries. And this could help also in solidifying their own position, whether there is a deal, a nuclear deal, or there is no nuclear deal. Ali, how is Iran viewing what's happening in Iraq? And do you see a connection between what in, in the Iranian view of the region between what's happening there and, and the nuclear talks? Because Iraq's also close to the United States. Uh, and uh, Iraq is also key to Iranian national security. Uh, as, as you know, uh, just today, the followers of uh, Iraqi populist cleric Muqtada al-Sadr uh, occupied the judiciary, and they had previously occupied the parliament. So difficult situation there. Uh, the Shia political parties are divided. Uh, how is Iran looking at the situation? Um, regardless of everything, I think the Iranians are very concerned with respect to what's happening in Iraq, because a shaky Iraq in this, in this sense, because Today, the situation is, is deteriorating, not just between, you know, Iran's allies and whoever is there. No, it's, it's, a, it's a mini civil war between the Shia. And to Iran, whatever the situation is, it can't really stand this danger because this is going to spill uh, sooner or later. You know, it, it's going to spill into Iran this is going to create a lot of, of chaos on the borders. It's going to also limit Iran's uh, leverage in, in, in Iraq. And it's going to also open a big opportunity for other, other sects, Sunnis and Kurds, to have a say in the buildup of the system and even in revising the whole, you know, the, the whole uh, uh, political contract that was uh, that all the parties arrived at after the uh, American invasion in 2003. So this is this is the dangerous part for Iran. Iran wants to have uh, a, a say in Iraq. It wants to have leverage in Iraq, but it doesn't want to lose Iraq. With this situation, with Shia uh, uh, movements, uh, Shia factions um, going towards what seems to be a mini civil war, which hasn't started yet, but I mean, the indications are there for it. This could create a real nightmare for the Iranians. And I think the Iranians are exerting efforts in order to contain the situation. However, till the moment they doesn't seem, they do not seem to have the means to do that. Ali, last question as, um we've been discussing we seem to be quite close uh, to a nuclear agreement how do you game it at this point do you think we're going to see an agreement and if one is signed what changes do you anticipate in terms of regional dynamics well um andrew there is something very important here just in case there is a deal signed announced because we don't know if they're going to sign they might only announce so whatever they're going to do with the next deal, reviving the GCPO, because it's, it's, a, it's a step towards reviving the, the other deal. What we know is that something big is going to change. For the first time, we're going to see a representative of the Raisi government sitting on the same table with a representative of the Biden administration. And this is going to be 
big. Because now things are going to be different. The possibility of direct engagement is going to be open and the possibility of having discussions over issues that might be of common interest or might be, you know, creating concerns for both parties or, you know, part of the, 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 the conflict or the uh, struggle in the region. Uh, it's, it's going to be easier for the Iranians and the Americans to talk without, without mediators, without anything uh, getting lost in translation. And I believe that maybe 30% of what was being hurdling this deal, reviving this deal, was things that were getting lost in translation. Ali, thank you. This has been great talking with you about it. Uh, Iran and the region as always is, and appreciate your taking the time today and all your many contributions to uh, El Monitor over the years. Thank you very much, Andrew, for the opportunity. We will return after this short break. Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell. I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let El Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to El Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis. Thanks to our guest today, Ali Hashem, and our production team of Beowulf Rockland and Rosabel Hine of Two Squared Media Productions. We will be back next week, and if you haven't done so, please sign up for all three of our El Monitor podcasts at your favorite podcast platforms. Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. Gilles' guest this month is the incredible Moroccan novelist Sinem Makhir, who discusses her debut novel, La Poule et Son Coumain. And On Israel with Ben Caspit. Ben this week speaks with geologist Yossi Lengatsky. And of course, this podcast on the Middle East, where Ambrin Zaman will be here next week with another decision maker or thought leader in the region. Thank you all for listening, and please keep up with all of the news and trends in the Middle East at lmonitor.com.